Anyway, welcome to Bible 101, everybody. The first week of Bible 101. Oh, I'm excited about this to go in depth with topics. It's going to be a good time. Does anybody know what tonight's topic is? The gospel. Yes, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, this is going to be good. Father, I ask that you would teach us and instruct us, Lord, as we dive into the depths of the scriptures and your word. We love you. We honor you. We want to know you more. I pray that there would be a richness of your presence in this place as we seek you and pursue you, Lord. Make us like Jesus. It's in your precious holy name I pray. Amen. So, I jotted down, the gospel is the love story of God. The gospel is the love story of God. Of God and I'll expound on that later but I just wanted to start off with that so we see at the beginning if you want to turn to Genesis chapter 1 Genesis chapter 1 we're gonna go all the way back to the beginning Genesis 1 and verse 26 the Bible says this then God said let us make human beings in our image to be like us and then you go down to verse 27 so God created human beings in his own image in the image of God he created them male and female now we know God doesn't have a body does he the Bible says in John chapter 4 that God is spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth so man was made flawless with no sin with no sin nature like Jesus Adam had a pure nature because sin hadn't entered into the equation yet Eve had a pure nature because sin had not entered into the equation yet oh, so much to go off on but we're going to stick to the notes tonight so I wrote down if you want to write this down a heading we're going to talk about the bad news before we talk about the good news the bad news God's warning and Adam's transgression that's what this section is God's warning and Adam's transgression so if you want to go to Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 Genesis 2 15 the Bible says the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. I wrote down, If you partake of this fruit, you'll die. That's what the Lord said. Romans, doesn't that sound familiar? Romans 6.23, sin's wages is what? Is death. In that state of perfection, if you eat of this and you rebel against me, you will die. That was a promise, right? And all God's promises are yes and amen. If he says you'll surely die, you can bet your buttons. You do what he said not to do, you're going to die. You can't debate your way out of it. 
So if you want to go to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. The Bible says the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? I think Satan knew what God said because he knew what, how to twist it. He says, did God really say you can't eat any of them? God said you can eat all of them except one. And she, she got into a debate with Satan. She got into a conversation with Satan, the master deceiver. Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. So Eve just did what? She repeated what God told her, right? So we know she knew. The excuse can't be, God, I didn't know. She just told Satan what God said. She was believing the word. Satan asked Eve, did God really say? Eve spoke what God had told her back to the devil. She confessed the word. People put a big emphasis on confessing the word. You can confess the word all you want, but if it's not rooted conviction, it's doing nothing for you. Did you notice that Satan spoke in direct opposition to what God told Eve? Satan said, you won't die. God said, you will die. So let's go down. Verse 3. Verse 4, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. God says, you'll die. Satan says, you won't die. So now you have a choice to make. Whose word am I going to believe? Verse 6, the woman was convinced. That didn't take much. He said at one time. She saw that the tree was beautiful. And its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Interesting. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. Sharing in your sin with somebody else. Eve said, I can't eat it. She even said she can't touch it. Touch not the unclean thing. We see that in 2 Corinthians 6. The Lord says, if you don't even touch the unclean thing, I'll welcome you. Because that was the word of the Lord. So she was clinging to it. She believed God said until there was an opposing voice. That voice came through suggestion. So when you get suggestions that are contrary to the word of God, you can bet your buttons it's Satan talking to you. Did it say Eve was freaked out because a serpent came and talked to her and she ran away from him? No, it was normal. That was a voice she was okay with. She didn't rebuke it. She didn't scream. She talked to it. Many people believe God while it's convenient. When there is no opposing voice, it is standing on the word of God 
amidst opposition where we act like Christ. See Luke 4, the temptations of Jesus. What did he do? When Satan came, he responded with the word. Well, Eve did too. Yeah, but then when she was tried again, she didn't. Jesus continually spoke the word and showed us the only way to, this is a side note, the only way to defeat Satan is through the word of the Lord. That's the only way to live. Every man shall live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. His, he's continually speaking. Are we continually receiving that word and therefore living? When I saw this was fascinating. After Satan made his suggestion and Eve pondered that suggestion, then she started to admire the tree. How come it's after she was convinced that what he was saying, wait, I won't die? So if I don't eat of that tree that I've been avoiding, I won't die? Then you start to look at it. Doesn't that sound very familiar? If, if you taste of this immorality, did God really say? If, you're, if you met stumble in sexual immorality, that you'll go to hell? That doesn't sound right. Did he really say that? Yeah, he did. Did God really say if you get drunk one time, you'll go to hell? It's interesting how they emphasize that one time. If you stumble one time, listen, to stumble one time is to set yourself up for a pattern. Did God really say? And he's always doing that. But if we reason in our mind and believe Satan who says nothing bad will happen to you even though the wages of sin is spiritual death, if we, if we tune into Satan and believe that, then we'll start looking. Because now we don't have to keep our guard up. So then she looked at the tree and admired the tree after she put her guard down. Her guard was up. I can't touch that tree. Guard goes down. Oh, that's a beautiful tree. Didn't realize it before. And the fruit, it looks delicious. And she wanted the wisdom, pride of life. It would give her. So she took some of the fruit and then she ate it. And then it never stops with you. Then she gave some of the fruit to her husband who was with her. What? He was with her the whole time. And he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Oh, here we go. But anyway, finishing what I was saying about Eve, she pondered that suggestion. She started to admire the tree that she before with conviction stayed away from. She previously feared the word of the Lord and trusted God's ways, in childlike surrender. Verse 6, I wrote about, she took what was forbidden and influenced her husband to partake in sin. Immediately spiritual death set in. Why? Because God said it would. Shame, realization of nakedness, resulted in them hiding from God in his presence that they once had access to and they enjoyed. Have you ever sinned and immediately shame sat in? You want to stay away from the presence rather than go to the presence? That's spiritual death. There's a way to avoid it. How? Don't sin. How do you not sin? Draw near to him daily. Minute by minute. Moment by moment. 
Meditate on him. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. If we get the meditation in here right, we'll get what comes out of the mouth totally right. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Make the tree good, the Bible says, and its fruit will be good. Well, all of this could have been avoided. If first, they would have just responded with what the Lord said and stuck with it. He said it, so for all of time, that's what he said, that's what he meant. We're clinging to his word. We live by his word. The Bible says, my sheep know my voice and the strangers they won't follow. Don't entertain the stranger's voice. They once had access to enjoy that presence, and the Lord loved it. And we'll talk about how much he loved it. Isaiah chapter 59. Is this making sense, guys? Just a little deeper into that. When that happened... Man lost the nature of God. We talk about that all the time. We were made in God's image. Well, when you spiritually die, (laughs) you're dead on the inside. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but he hath quickened us and made us alive with Christ. Now we're alive in the Lord, and I'm no longer dead in my sin, but I'm alive unto God. But we, we lost what was precious, God living in man. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1. Listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you call. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. Whoa. Why isn't the Lord listening? There's sin. It was David that said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't hear my prayer. So if God can't hear me, and I love God, how can I be comfortable with sin in my life? It's cutting off my connection. If I've got a renewed nature, how is sin comfortable? It should torment me if it's there. Why? It's clogging up the line to heaven. You ever been spending time in God's presence, just soaking in his presence? When you live a life of sin, you don't even know what we're talking about when we say that. People don't understand how to taste the goodness of the word of God because sin dulls your spiritual senses. Why? Because every time you sin, it is causing you to die little by little. And if you get into addiction, you die. That's why be very quick to repent. But people who do willful sin, it's hard for them to be quick to repent. Now, if you make an error, Caitlin, I should have spoken softer. There's this nice refreshing that comes over. You know, well, Sam, all sin's the same. Well, I think she'd take it a little different if I cheated on her. Well, God doesn't do that. Well, look at what happened to Israel over and over and over and over. Somebody said one time, God's ever married to the backslider. Yeah, but I hope the backslider doesn't die. God might be faithful. But the Bible says that you're supposed to be faithful. If we deny him, he'll deny us. If we're unfaithful, he's still faithful. Oh, he's still faithful even when I'm unfaithful. 
Yes, it's talking about his character. It's not saying you're okay. It's just saying God's always faithful, even if man is never faithful. And so, I love this. We're blaming the Lord for a lot of things. People do, don't they? It says, listen, it's not that the Lord's arm's too weak to save you. And the Lord's not deaf. First off, he made ears. He's not too deaf that he can't hear you call. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. So if we love what God loves and hate what God hates, and God sent his son, why? Because he hated sin. 1 John chapter 3, what does it say? Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. Hallelujah, rah, rah, rah. What's the context? Sin is work of the devil. Sin separates man from God. Is that not a love story that God came to get rid of the very thing that separated us from union and communion? I miss walking in the cool of the day with pure vessels. But Sam, what about in the Old Testament how they pleased people? I don't think God was very happy when David committed adultery, do you? Did you ever read where he sent the prophet Nathan to rebuke David? That's in there too. Did you ever read that David's baby died that he had with Bathsheba? As what? Judgment? Really? Haven't heard that one. That Israel would go into captivity? But you know what David did? He didn't sulk. He even fasted so the baby wouldn't die. What'd it do? Die. God already spoke and he decided that's the way it was going to be. Because when you sin, there are massive consequences. He might forgive, but you might live in hell on earth the rest of your life. Do you want to be known as an adulterer because when you were 20 years old, you had sex outside of marriage when you were married? Do you want to be known that way till you're 90 years old? Because there's evangelists still preaching that are known as the evangelists that fell. You know why? Because Proverbs says men are merciless. Am I going to be merciless? No. But when I think of those people, that's what I think of. You blew your shot. It hinders your witness, and rightly so. I mean, if we're preaching holiness, shouldn't we be the first to live holy? If judgment comes, it first begins at the household of where? God. Where's that? Here. Where we claim God. Where we claim holiness. If you want to turn to Romans chapter 5. Thank you, Lord. Verse 12. The Bible says, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given. But it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. And we'll get into that in a moment. 
But Adam sinned and death spread to who? Everyone. I have a question. When you sin, what do you think it does? Think about it. It brings death, maybe on a small scale at the start, but if it continues, it brings a lot of death. And if you really continue, it stretches out to your families. That's why there's divisions in families. That's why there's pride. That's why there's arrogance. That's why there's strife. That's why there's envy, jealousy, all this stuff. Because sin grows. Romans 6 says you gave yourself over to sin, which led to deeper, deeper sin. But if you give yourself over to righteousness, you'll grow deeper in holiness. I want to glisten with the presence of God. If 2 Corinthians 3 says, if they couldn't even look at Moses' face, how much more glory should we expect in the new covenant? Just purity radiating off of our faces. But yeah, Adam's sin brought death to everyone. How can we think sin is such a light thing if it damned all of humanity that God had to send his perfect sinless son to be treated as a criminal and tortured? And we think sin's a light thing, even after the blood of Jesus. Shouldn't we detest it because it put our blessed Savior on the cross? And I'm not mad at you guys. I'm not mad at anybody. But it's just a normal frame of thought, you would think. If my Savior suffered at my hands, shouldn't I detest what made him suffer and make sure I'm not going to contribute to that any longer? Newsflash, God still hates sin just like he did. Newsflash, the worst judgment's going to come that hasn't even hit the planet yet. Newsflash, judgment day's coming. Newsflash, you dive deep enough into the earth's core, it gets very hot. Hell is real. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So nobody's saying they're better than anybody. I was born in sin. Everybody who's been born since Adam's been born in sin. And that's why Jesus came and said, you must be what? Born again. Born from above. We were all trafficked under sin, under bondage, under oppression, and we couldn't get free. We had to live in fear. People had to slit animals as a sacrifice to cover their sins and still live in fear of God and not be able to have communion with him. And only the high priest could go into the most holy place once a year and not without the blood of animals so that it, could cl it couldn't cleanse their conscience, but it offered forgiveness of sins. So they couldn't even worship God and enjoy his presence because they were always reminded of their sin because their consciences were defiled. What a burden. Amen? What a burden. Heaviness. But we've got good news. Man doesn't have to die in sin. Man can be forgiven. God sent... Here's... Three words I want you to write if you're taking notes. God sent a savior. God sent a deliverer. God sent a restorer. God sent a savior. 
God sent a deliverer. God sent a restorer. He saved us from spiritual cancer, sin. He delivered us from the snare of the oppressor. He restored us to our original design. He gifted us with union with himself. And he did this while we were rebellious. He transformed us. He saved us from spiritual cancer, sin. Praise God. Like cancer eats at the body, so sin eats at the spirit. What would we do if cancer was on our body? We'd try to get that thing off. People do. They spend thousands of dollars on chemotherapy and radiation to get rid of cancer because it's eating away at them. And Christians sit while they're literally spiritually dying, consuming things that are causing the cancer to grow and slit their throat. And nobody wants to take an axe and slit the, the root of that thing and let it bleed out. Nasty picture, but needed. He, he delivered us from the snare of the oppressor. I love that. He restored us to our original design. He gifted us. It's a gift, right? It's a privilege. He gifted us with union with himself. And he did this while we were rebellious. What does the scripture say? While we were yet sinners. While I was bound in my sin. While I was doing everything contrary to what his law said. He died for me he died for you while you were doing the worst sin that you could ever think of while you were imagining the most vile thing that you've ever thought and didn't have any plans to change jesus was still hanging on the tree in hopes of something that it might totally switch that if he'll put his life in you you'll actually do things that please him you'll actually do things he wants you to do and you'll actually be satisfied. Jeremiah chapter 2, I love what it says in verse 13. It says, My people have committed two evil acts. One, they've abandoned me, the fountain of living water. Two, and they've dug for themselves crack cisterns that can hold no water at all. What does that mean? I was satisfying them. They were satisfied in me, but then they left me. And when they left me, and they weren't satisfied anymore, they started digging for things that would please them and they never could find anything that pleases them and then he says remember how i satisfied you so long ago when you first met me how you were eager to serve me and live for me how did god accomplish restoring man back to himself how did he sever the dividing wall sin between man and God, there's one thing that's separating us in our spirits. Because he who's joined to the Lord's one spirit with the Lord. How did he do it? The death of his most precious holy son. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, He who knew no sin became sin that I might become the, the righteousness of God in him. 1 John explains on that deeper and says that I'm righteous just as Christ is righteous. Why? Because I can't get in on my own righteousness. I'm seen as flawless in the sight of God. Colossians 1 says the same thing in verse 21 and 22. It says you're holy and blameless and above reproach as you stand before him without a single fault. Why? You've been washed in the blood of Jesus. Though your sins be like scarlet, I'll make you white as snow. 
We were splotchy. We were nasty. We were filthy. And Christ hung on that cross for the joy set before him. What? Well, because <laughs> I'll just talk about this for a moment. I've been listening to some new worship songs. And they're like, were you thinking about me when you were in the garden? You know, and I understand the sentiment. But Jesus was in human form. He didn't know your name. He was thinking about pleasing the Father and giving the Father what he wanted. And it pleased God to crush his son, the scriptures say. Why? Because God knew what he was getting in return. Unless a kernel of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it can produce much fruit. And here we are in 2022. Fruit of the sacrifice of the cross of Christ, him dying, being raised from the dead. And that life spreading to all men. Well, that leads me to the rest of Romans 5, if you want to turn there. Verse 15. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God. Even though we are guilty of many sins. Think about it. Has somebody ever offended you? It bothers you, doesn't it? Well, now we let it brush off. But when somebody did something against us, we held it in an account. The God of the universe, who's perfectly flawless and holy, we offended him so many times, yet he still said, I'll forget all that. I'll throw all that away into the sea of forgetfulness. You know what it says? He says, I choose to forget all that. And wash you. Because I know if I can put my spirit in you, you'll love me. And you're doing that because you're of a different spirit. That's why the new covenant is not forgiveness of sins in and of itself. That's weird. To preach it like that is very weird. Forgiveness of sins causes us to glorify him that he looked past all our faults and said, I'm going to forgive you and wash you. What's the most amazing to me is that he put Christ in me. In you. Jesus Christ, who died 2,000 years ago, gave up the ghost, went into the ground, rose from the dead, ascended so that he could send the Holy Spirit where did he send the Holy Spirit into men's hearts? He said, it's better for you that I go, because if I do not go, I can't come and live in you. Jesus, wouldn't it be better if Jesus walked by us? No! Look what happened to the disciples time and time again. Are you of such a hard heart? Why? They weren't born again. We compare ourselves to unregenerate disciples. Yet when he ascended and he sent the Spirit, it was a whole different equation. And now Christ in you is the hope of glory. You want to talk about the wonder of the cross? One Jesus died, was raised, and now there's Christians all over the world with the nature of the living God. Putting our God on display. That's why he says you're the light of the world. 
Jesus reached his purpose, but not his potential. I think he reached his potential pretty great. Lamb of God, worthy of praise forever and ever. You don't even need a light in heaven, the Bible says, for the Lamb lights the city. He's literally, he's the reason for all of existence. He reached his potential. He's God. A humble God-man. For this sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it. Right? We want to receive it. Well, how do you know if you've received it? For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. So if you're living in triumph over sin and death, you can be pretty happy today that Christ lives in you. And that, that's, see, that's the whole reason where our joy comes from. People get too caught up in if my circumstances change or God's going to send me 500 bucks so my face will light up. Of course, he wants to bless his children, but why can't our face light up that the God of the universe lives in man who was once sinful, right? Full of sin and uncleanness, the God of the universe lives in me. And I was thinking about that and you just trip out because no matter how long you think about it in one day, you can't exhaust it. And then the more you meditate on it, the more it becomes real and the more you start to look like him because you're starting to imitate him because you see him. And who you look at, who you behold, you become like. <sighs> you want to walk in love? Behold the Lamb of God that took away your sin. It's hard to remember of how much he's forgiven me of and then to walk in bitterness and hatefulness, isn't it? But it's easy when I'm not looking at him. And I've been learning that afresh. Falling in love with the gospel. You know what Paul said his fear was? That just says the... <laughs> wow, here we go, back to the garden. That's what Paul did. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul went back to the garden in that verse. I watched a couple videos of people I really like talk about the gospel because I thought I was going insane that I wanted to cover such a wide variety because when people talk about the gospel, what's the only thing they talk about? Jesus went to the cross so I could be forgiven. And we can give a five-minute lecture on what the gospel is. Oh, the gospel is broad, wide, and deep. Very deep. The good news of God. And then you see his mercy all throughout the scripture. Whew. I love it. Which I probably, yeah, I have a couple more pages of notes, I think. We, we might not get through all those specific notes. But when the angel came to Mary, what did he say? Name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from the thing that's killing them. But we don't deem that as important if we don't see how bad sin is. How horrific in God's sight it is. 
You're not just going to save me from hell, Lord? I can't do that. I'm saving you from what's sending you. You might want to get out of that car. It's got a flat tire. No, I'll be okay. He warned you for your own benefit. You driving that car with a flat tire and you running into the pole. He can't save you from the fact that you ran into the pole. He was trying to save you from getting in the car which led you to the pole. And the explosion that ensued. Wages. What are wages? Payment. Right? Thank you. <laughs> you get paid with death as you sin. And the result is an eternal hell. Why? Because that can't come in God's presence. I just listened to something a phenomenal little short. If I can recall it. Um, the man said, he said, God consumes. He's fire. You wouldn't put your hand in a fire and say, ow, why'd that happen? It's just what it does. You put your hand in fire, you burn your hand. Well, God consumes sin. So sin can't come into God's presence without being consumed. So you want God to pardon you. You can't be pardoned if after your life you've still got sin there because you'll just be consumed. Oh no. That's why he has to get rid of the sin so you're not consumed. He has to purify the vessel so you're not consumed. If Because when he comes in when he came into you guys, what did he do? He consumed that sin that controlled your life. That's why when people talk about how they're demon possessed as a Christian, that doesn't even make any sense. He consumes the habitation he dwells in. We've cheapened our God. We've cheapened his power. We've cheapened his person. Can somebody tell me where I was headed in the word? Because I ended up in Timothy somehow. Thank you. 2 Corinthians 11. That's right. Look at Paul's one fear. Verse 2. For I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. Why? You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. And that's why we're talking about the gospel, because a lot of people don't talk about the gospel. We move on to prosperity, we move on to healing, but we don't talk about the gospel. This is the center of our lives, that Christ lives in us. Christ lives in us. I will live in them. I'll walk among them. But Sam, doesn't that get old? Not really. It really doesn't. I'll tell you what gets old, growing numb to that because you don't remind yourself of that and focusing on lesser things like finances, which you should mind. But we're talking about expecting money to come in the mail to make my life easier constantly. I love to say this. Uh, Spencer reminded me of it the other day that I say, without prosperity, you can see the Lord. 
Without healing, you can see the Lord. But without holiness, no man will see the Lord. So what's the most important thing? Well, Sam, it's all the most important. No, it can't all be the most important. Without one thing, you can't see the Lord. The refining holiness of the presence of God in your life. Christ living in you. And Christ, your gifts are not what shows that Christ is living in you. Your character shows that Christ is living in you. Christ will come upon you for others' sakes. He's in me for my sake. He's upon me for other people's sakes. He's in me so that I can be sustained in his presence. He's upon me so I can minister to other people and see them meet him. And we think the him upon me is his cosign of me and my character and my nasty language that I let come out of my mouth. Me and Caitlin are just shocked at what some people say as ministers. The other day, I can't even repeat it in church and people want to dismiss it. A minister I used to watch posted the qualifications of a minister. He said, not arrogant, not quick-tempered. You know, we've read them many times. Not a drunkard, not a moral lover of one wife. Somebody puts in the comments, I know a church you go to where they don't act like this. And he proceeded to say nasty things to that person when he just posted the qualifications of a minister on his own page. Telling a man he's on his... A minister with miracles yeah but he's gonna split hell wide open you want to tell me that Christ lives in you and you feel the liberty to do that in public if you feel the liberty to do that in public what do you do in private just a genuine question because I know me we're not saying like things like that in private and I asked I asked my sister I said Brooklyn if I said something like that what would you do Oh, she'd tear me up. I said, then don't defend him. We're not going to defend people like that. I don't care what miracles you have. Matthew chapter 7 is going to come to life real quick. Only those who do the will of my Father will be in heaven. Lord, we did your will. We casted out devils, and these people cast out devils. We healed the sick, they healed the sick. We prophesied. Oh, they love to prophesy. But I'll say, I never knew you. You worked evil. That's what happens. But the gospel spared us from that by giving us Christ's nature. And we prostitute Christ's nature away and treat it like it's nothing. Squander it. Treat it as useless and worthless. Inflate our own importance. Care more about a ministry growth than we do about the heart of God, the character of God. Uh, Living a consistent life in Christ. Ministering to people with the character of the Lord. Why? It feels good to heal people. Does it feel good to be crucified in in every little motive to make sure you come out looking like Jesus, purified over and over by the presence of the Lord? I've noticed the Lord does more correcting than he does anything else, at least in my own life. And I'm talking about at the heart level. And you know what always encourages me? Christ lives here. I'm the dwelling place of the God of the universe. The temple. You know what he says? I love what Eric Gilmore said. If you, I think it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Somewhere over there. The Lord says, you are the... 
after he says, don't be sexually immoral, don't you know you're the temple of God? So the way you solve that is with a revelation. You're the habitation of the living God. What do you mean join yourself to a prostitute? Don't you just love that? You must have forgot something. You house God in here. Well, how do you do that? What does the scripture say? If a man loves me, he'll keep my word. And because he kept my word and because he loves me, me and my father will come and will make our home in that man, our abode in him, and we'll dine with him. You know what the Bible says? The willing and the obedient, right, shall eat the good and the fat of the land. Too many people are obedient without being willing, which really doesn't end up in obedience. Because he asks for a willing heart, right? God loves a cheerful giver. That can mean money. It, the context is money in that circumstance. But you can certainly bet a cheerful giver of your life to him. Amen? Let's read a little more of this stuff. The just had to die for the unjust, the perfect for the imperfect, the sinless for the sinful. And if you want to go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. But Sam, they're a great man of God. What is a great man of God? What did Jesus do when people were arguing about who was the greatest? Did he say he who works signs and wonders? No, he didn't. He called a child into the middle of them all and said, if you become like this, you're the greatest. If you're the servant of all, you're the greatest. I love that mentality in Pastor Doc. That's what, See, people want a pastor or a leader who will strut around and act important because they are people are if you've got a church of 500 people it that would be amazing like what do you do how do you do it and you love it but it's it's not a pleasant thing to watch people strut around in christendom pride cometh before a fall a haughty spirit before destruction it's just the way it is uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted. Wow! Isn't that just what we were talking about? He didn't retaliate when he was insulted. The thing we were talking about, maybe you were insulted by what they said, and you retaliated, all right? nor threaten revenge when he suffered he left his case in the hands of god who always judges fairly he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross why why did he go to the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right by his wounds you are healed once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. That's what we get out of the gospel in the crucifixion of Jesus is restored relationship with the God we were separated from, for me, from 1 to 20 years old. Never knew him. The whole reason I'm created is to glorify him and I never knew him. I was dead. 
and my trespasses and my sins, and he brought me near when I was ugly and unclean, and right when I got saved, the conscience cleansed, his spirit coming to dwell, and the already the image of God birthed. I remember sinning a couple weeks after being saved and crying, and Caitlin was there, and I cried. I felt like a baby whose conscience had just been defiled, but the Lord still loved me. And I said, I disappointed Jesus. We're calloused when we think we can't disappoint him. And we're calloused when we don't care if we disappoint him. I want to be like a newborn babe desiring the milk of the word. I want to be eager to bear the nature of Jesus, the loving nature of Jesus, the patient nature of Jesus. The Bible says be patient with difficult people. Christ brought that back to us so we could actually do it. So that I don't have to look at somebody with hatred in my heart. So that I don't have to look at a woman in lust. Before I was a slave. You know, I was thinking about the difference between a willful sin and, and just an error. Like a transgression. I'm going to violate this. Willfully violating would be you know what, Lord, this is hard. I'm going to look at that woman and I'm going to lust. That'd be willful. When people are led astray and their eyes catch something and then they stumble, oh, Lord, I don't want to do that. Wash me, cleanse me, help me. He'll run to that. And if that person can even find a place, he'll run to that too. But he does not like it when we say, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> you know or somebody does something spontaneously and it sparks some anger in you you're like why did you do that you're thinking i don't get it or when you sit at home you're like i'm gonna be angry because i deserve it no no you deserve one thing hell judgment all that and he said i'll pardon you if you'll forgive other people i'll forgive you don't clog up the line of forgiveness. It won't be pretty. You know? I love the Lord. And I, I love the nature of the Lord. And I'm not expecting the Lord to be kind to me so I can make fun of people and call people names. Do you want to be around people like that? I, and I know you guys don't want to be people like that. I haven't seen it. You know? We can never think we're the exception. The gospel did one major thing. It put the life of God back in us. And because we treasure that life, we're not going to grieve that life. We're not going to grieve the spirit. If he cleansed me, he sanctified me, he washed me, he empowers me so I don't fall and make a fool of myself, I'm not going to touch him wrong. Thank you, Lord. And I'm going to be satisfied in him, not in anything he can give me. Well, Sam, you're stupid. Call me stupid all you want. I'll see you in heaven, hopefully. How do you think it's going to be at the throne of God when all you did was pursue finances? But Lord, it was for your kingdom. Okay, I wanted you. I sent Christ. No, he sent Christ so that we could prosper. Did he? Did you, did you read in the, in the New Testament when Jesus was walking the earth, he was laying his hands on people so they could catch the financial anointing? Not one time, did you? 
and he walked in the what of God? The fullness of God? And he never did that? Why? Because it's not in the Bible. And he doesn't want that. Too many things that I tolerate that I'm not going to tolerate. That's insane. That's satanic, if you ask me. Let me give you a story from the Gospels. A man runs up to Jesus, and the man says, Lord, tell my brother to rightly divide the inheritance with me. The money my father left me, tell him to give it to me. Jesus said, who made me a judge over that? And he said, guard against all kinds of greed. Well, Jesus, how is it greed if, it's entitled, if I'm entitled to it? That's what people think. Because in the kingdom, there's no entitlement. You realize you don't deserve anything. And if you're going to follow me, you can't have an entitlement mentality. You won't make it very long. You know what the Bible says? There will come a day when men will say gain is godliness. What does that mean? The more money we have, the more godly we are. That's here now. I know many camps that do that. Well, Sam, who are you to correct us about financial anointings and all this stuff when we have more followers than you and we have more money than you? and we? That's your answer. Listen to yourself. Can you picture that in Jesus' mouth? And you're to bear the image of, you sound like you're bearing your own. You sound like you're talking like Satan talks. In the name of it's for God. People have done things all throughout the ages in the name of Jesus. That wasn't him. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. You'll notice people aren't very patient. And if you get pricked by listening to certain teaching long enough, just cut it off. Even if you like the person's, how they act. No, not how they act, but you like what they preach. I've turned preachers off because of fruit. Oh, you preach a lot of right things, but your fruit, I get pricked. So that means if I'm touching you, you're a thorn bush. I've had favorite preachers that over time I was like, I gotta cut this person off. Because it ain't right. Is something's not right. Well, years down the road, I'm not going to be sad I did. But anyway, back to the precious gospel, which, because we're talking about this, I'm talking about how precious it is, precious it is that we keep the purity of it, that we keep the excitement over that, once again, that God lives in you. Go home and meditate on that. Oh, to be comforted when you know God lives in you. God! I live in you. And I walk among you. I'm your God. You're my people. Study 2 Corinthians 6. Let it build your faith and excitement. And today I was just letting my meditation be that and that alone. And I'll tell you what. I was way more joyful pondering the mystery of God in me and how he's on his throne and how I'm standing before him and I'm spending time in his presence and there's nothing else I need to do than seek him, that is way better than Lord send me $500 and meditating on prosperity when I can meditate on the wonder who sits above it all. 
the whole world's thinking about money. I'm going to elevate. I'm going to elevate and be with him. Set your affections on things above. Where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. The beauty of it. You'll notice your strength gets sapped when you're not in awe and wonder at the gospel. You know what the Bible says? Angels long to look into these things. The prophets wish they could have seen what you see, and kings of old would have longed to see this. Yeah, Christ lives in me. Let's get to prosperity. Let's get to healing. Let's get to... Oh, he'll heal. But he lives in you. What's our confidence on the day of judgment? Our bank account? No. As he is, so are we in this world. 1 John 4. Jesus went to a cross, a gruesome, abusive death, spat on, rejected, treated as the world's trash. Why, why, why would he do that? To shatter the dividing wall between me and God. One reason. To bring me home. To bring me home. And bring his father great pleasure. And in so doing, God exalted him. In Jesus, every name's going to bow to you now. And every tongue is going to confess that you're Lord. Romans 6.10 Then I've got just a couple things Romans 6.10 I hope you're catching the beauty of it all Because the kingdom's like the pearl of great price Whew. A merchant looking for choice pearls It's beautiful Romans 6.10 When he died, when Jesus died, he died once to break the power of sin. He died, why? To break the power of sin. But there was an end goal in mind. So that we would, but now the life that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So that we would live for God. Live for God's glory. And be united with him. Once again, what was lost in the garden, Christ came and restored. That's why the Bible says he's the last Adam. What Adam lost, Christ restored to bring God great glory. Thank you, Lord. I just have a little poem that I wrote today excited about the gospel. Good news, I don't have to die in my sin. Good news, once again I'm joined to him. The one in whom my soul delights, my fears relieved, my burdens light. He bore my sin, he bore my shame. All praise to Jesus, I'm born again. <laughs> That's the key. Joy that I'm alive in Christ. Charles Spurgeon said this, The most important daily habit we can possess is to remind ourselves of the gospel. The most important daily habit we can possess is to remind ourselves of the gospel and i can tell you when i'm thinking about the gospel the gospel the good news that he lives in me oh i'm ready for the day 
because I'm ready to literally shine with the glory of God amidst all of life's circumstances and I'm anticipating and excited not necessarily for opposition to shine in opposition I know it's going to happen and then I get excited because wow his character came out of me wow he lives in me he's telling the truth and then wow one day I don't even have to fear I'm going to enter right into his presence because I see he really is here talk about not fearing going to hell when Christ is coming out of you It's exciting. The gospel gives life to the sinner in the same way it sustains life in the believer. Eric Gilmore. The gospel gives life to the sinner in the same way it sustains life in the believer. You never move on from the good news that Christ lives in you and that he broke the power of sin over your life and now the righteousness of God is shining through you because of the sacrifice of the perfect son of God. Hmm. One more little poem I wrote. I was having a good time. Without the cross of Jesus, I couldn't die to live. Without the cross of Jesus, I'd still be dead in my trespasses and sins. I'll praise to the God who lifts the head, gives get daily bread so I can be daily fed and head to the judgment seat with newfound relief because the Lord has pardoned me. Praise to him forever and ever that he would send his son to die a death that I wouldn't even wish on my enemies so that it could bear much fruit and bring me back to the one in whom my soul delights, the father who created me and knitted me in my mother's womb. We're joined again. Thank you, Father, for this precious reality of the gospel. Thank you for stirring in our hearts first love tonight and treasuring your commands within us. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the Son of God. Jesus, we worship you and we honor you for your sacrifice. You gave us new life. You're walking in this room today and you're honored by the message of the gospel. Thank you for the power of God that saved us, remade us into your very likeness. As we go from this place, I pray that we would bear your image shine through us, Lord, with the light of God. And may we come alive with the life of God in our spirits and soar the heights that no other man knows, but may we give to those who don't know you the life we've received that they might shine too. It's in your precious holy name we pray. Amen and amen.